Hi, here's Florian from 99 Startups and I'm today here with Felix. So Felix, introduce yourself. Hi guys, I'm Felix. I'm uh, the SVP Global Operations at Delivery Hero. Before that, I did many other things. Um, I think most uh, noteworthy and probably relevant to this podcast is the fact that I was the co-founder of Food Panda, a, uh, a group which is active in the food delivery space, food ordering, and which raised over $300 million over the course of, of four years. And I was uh, co-founder and CEO of that company, so I had a very, uh, yeah, a very operational focus while I was in that position. So Foodpanda had a really impressive four times growth every year. So how how you think about growth? I think I think growth is the most addictive drug that you can hand out to to founders, to employees, to people. Um, growth is is fantastic because it's just um, it just creates a lot of energy around people, and and you know people feel very intrinsically motivated to to work hard and um, they have a sense of accomplishment they learn a lot and they gradually move up in in um, yeah just in experience and management spend just by being in the position that they are so there's no need for you know like career planning or uh, type of the type of corporate things that you would need normally to to keep people in a company just the growth itself is enough to sustain motivation and and retention in the company and excitement and personal growth etc so i think on on let's say the the personal level growth is is simply a gift especially if it if it happens over such a long time on the operational side of course it's it's a huge challenge to to master growth and uh, to facilitate it starting from you have to adapt the organizational structure over time you have to hire more people you have to maybe exchange people also in certain positions you also have to possibly do mergers and acquisitions you have to acquire companies which in itself creates a lot of complexity also in the long run from from an operational point of view buying a company is a long-term project so i think that's that's very challenging and and also very energy consuming so you will need that energy that you that you kind of build up as part of a growth story also to to make sure you can you can harness the growth and you can facilitate it so um then let's split the problems to uh, one each other so let's say hiring how do you think about hiring what you focus on if you need people because your your growth rides you so i think hiring is is a huge topic right and and i think it's um it's in essence, very generic what you need to do and everybody knows and has learned it at some point in university. On the other hand, then actually doing it is something something very different because you're confronted with um, with a lot of problems. So what I would like on a general level, I think hiring is, is a CEO topic for yeah. sure. And um, like the more we grew as a company, the more I was focusing on hiring as well. So we, yeah. we really try to um, allocate 30-40% of our time on hiring. I had an average, I'd say, um, probably five interviews per week yeah. for for uh, for certain applicants. And I mean, I've probably done like 90 or 100 hires yeah. together with other parts of management team. Um, personally, I mean, I was involved in more. And I think like maybe just trying to capture the essence of, of these, uh, the, the learnings that we made there, I think a, you need to um, you need to be really rigid on the quality of people. So I would always suggest not to compromise on quality, but to really try to find 
the, the best person for that position and not to compromise on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that in essence, that means you need a certain throughput in your HR department. So if you want to have a, a very, very good candidate, then um, A, you need a good HR team, a yeah. good recruiting team that can really line up for each position four or five candidates. You should never only have one or yeah. two, but more, three, four or five candidates. So uh, you need a very good head of HR. It's something where, where like a position in which we invested uh, over time. So we, it was one of the few positions that we, for example, had a headhunter for. So ironically, for a head of HR position, position we had to, uh, you know, we had to hire a headhunter to fill that position because it's very difficult to find the right person. We wanted somebody who has a cultural fit to understand what our cultural DNA is, but on the other hand, also an execution person who could really build up a recruiting funnel where we have yeah. enough leads that we generate and then can convert into um, into uh, you know people. So I think that's that's uh, one thing. Like have a good HR team with excellent uh, throughput and and really good feeling and, and a good sense of what's the right type of candidate that you want. And then also personally, I think try to really understand what like how to structure a, a job interview um how to pitch and when to pitch so every job interview at some point turns into pitching yeah. mode right yeah. after you've kind of understood that this is the right candidate and this is the, the guy that you want to close you need to switch in your head and, and and go to pitching mode or you also need to do it from you know from the very beginning and uh, sell the mission um sell the vision of the company sell yourself because you might be the boss right so you, that person needs to buy into okay i want to work for, for this guy i can learn from this guy so i think strike a good balance between um between a, a structured interview to identify the right candidate but also the, the right pitch selling mode to then close the candidate i think it's also very important and refine with every interview always like after interview after process you know Talk with your colleagues, with your co-CEO, with your co-founder. Okay, what went right? What went wrong? Why didn't we close that person? Was this the right hire or the wrong hire? Um, that, that's, I think, another aspect that is very important. And then I also believe in doing multiple interviews. So we yeah. always had like two, three, four interviews, yeah. in some cases even more. I think companies like Google, they have like an excessive yeah. amount of interviews, seven, eight, nine. I think that's, I mean, my, my personal taste that this is a bit too much. But at least do do a couple of interviews, um, yeah. And I think what we also did, we we had a very good number awareness of of like we all knew all the metrics that we need to look at. For example, how many leads have we generated last week for uh, developers? I mean, developers was our most scarce resource that we yeah. had to hire. So we always had to understand how many new leads did we generate, how many interviews have we done, how many people are lined up for the final interview. So have a, a funnel in which you track the progress. Yeah, yeah. And you can approach it really like a conversion funnel for your yeah. product. It's the same thing. Um, and yeah, so th- these are the three things that I would suggest. Have a good team, um, you know, a lot of visibility on, on the numbers, and then finally a, a good a good uh, a process and, and a, good, a, a good quality also of interviews that you're conducting. So next to quality, um, did you also check for for uh, personal um, how personal culture? So like openness or cultural fit? Yeah, culture fit. Yes, how did absolutely. you approach that? Absolutely, I think this is something that comes fairly natural. I'd say. Okay. I mean, what I've observed is that you always kind of hire the uh, the type of personality that you yourself are. Okay. So I think that that's pretty accurate from what I've noticed. And, and I think it comes automatic that you will have a sense of sympathy for somebody who's open, who's direct. I mean, that's my, for example, my yeah. preference, right? Like somebody who's open, who's direct, who's uh, 
you know, upfront to also ask me in, in, in the job interview, for example, a critical question. So I've noticed Foodpanda underperformed in yes. this country or that yeah. country. Why is that the case? Yeah. I think these are that, that's the right mindset. That's, that's what I want. You know, I don't want people who say, you know, yay to everything, but I yeah. want people who question me, who challenge me, who, who challenge us, right? And who challenge the company because you need to challenge yourself on a regular basis as a startup. And you need people that flag certain structural problems, that flag issues. And I always, like that, that was always my attitude as a person. And I would, I would say that 70-80% of the people that are hired also reflect that type of personality. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's a bit different if you then move to other markets, for example, if you go to, to Asia um, or, or uh, India, for example, you, you do have certain types of mentality that do not always match with a European, Western yeah. European type of mindset. So that's something also that I noticed it's much more difficult to hire in, in, uh, in cultures where you don't, under, you, you don't really have a yardstick for yeah. you know what type of personality is an open-minded or direct person and, and what is more like a you know a kind of restrained person so i think when you move into other territories in terms of hiring it's always beneficial to include local um, local people that you have in your network so in our case since we were with rocket internet we could leverage a lot the the, the contacts that we had from other um, Asian ventures that were in yeah. Asia and they could point us to the right candidates and they could also then do a second or third interview to understand whether that person kind of matches what we want to see in a candidate. So it's more challenging in other cultures to yeah, do this. Yeah, definitely. And um, so you're hiring a lot of people, so then how you said that you have like challenges in organization. How, how you solve that to keep always the organization fit to your needs? It's probably one of the Next to hiring, one of the key questions that you need to answer as a as a top manager, right? Yeah. How do how do I adapt my structure? How do I shape it with the increase in in complexity, with the increase in geographical footprint? Yeah. And it's something that I think it's hard to give you a, a let's say a blanket answer for that. But I think you always need to look at organizational structure and processes together right so you, there's no point in only changing organizational structure but usually it also means you have to adopt something on the process side yeah. be it a development process a, a governance process decision yeah. making etc so i think it needs to it needs to be changed in close alignment and uh, and it really fully depends on on the business model it depends on on your geographical reach so it's hard to to give an answer on that but the, but the reality is that we discussed this a lot in the management team yeah. and we also adapted a lot over time and also like at delivery here here now it's 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 one of the, the core topics to to define and flesh out the best organizational structure and the best governance model in order to have a you know a, a fast entrepreneurial decision making process on the ground so I, I think it's one of it's it's probably I would say it's one of the most complex questions of top management. Yeah. I think hiring is more straightforward. So yeah. once you've figured it out, you know how to do it. But organizational challenges, they keep on coming up on a, on a regular basis. Every six months, I think you need to challenge what you're doing and how you do it and, and understand whether it's still the right way to do it or do you need to slightly adapt. I think the bigger you become, ideally, the, the smaller the adjustments should be because they might be very disruptive if, if it's, you know, if it, because there are a lot of people affected. But um, but on the other hand, I would always this is always a bit this day one kind of dogma that uh, um, if you need to change the structure in order to better serve the customer, in order to be more successful, in order to address a competitive threat, I would always do it. I always do it right? because it's it's a uh, 
um, yeah, it's it's necessary to to be to be in a position to make the right decisions, even if if you are rather large already. Okay, so as you started with like uh, food partner in in, in Berlin, um, you are probably more agile as structure, like small teams, like uh, autonome, just delivered. Um, did it did it stay agile as it grow? Like to all other cities in Germany, for example, or how you would just no, I, out of yeah. <laughs> I think as a general rule, you definitely lose agility the bigger you become. It's okay. it's yeah. very uh, I think it's very obvious yeah. and, and very straightforward. It's it's just uh, I think the the what we talked about before, right? How to adapt the structure. I think adapting the structure has always been geared towards maintaining and preserving a a certain level of entrepreneurialism and and ownership mm. in in the teams. What you have to what you have to really prevent from from happening is that you have that you that you grow too much in the sense of people don't feel empowered anymore that they are really driving things independently they don't feel um, that they have the liberty to decide things and to shape things then it's very dangerous because it can really tip into a corporate type of mindset mm -hmm. where where people don't feel accountable. They they move more into a nine to five type of, of mindset, and they also feel that they cannot really change or um, they, don't, they don't have so much business impact anymore. And I think that that by means of organizational improvements and adjustments, you can try to do damage control to that effect because it will happen to some mm -hmm. degree. Um, it's just naturally going to happen. Yeah. The bigger you become, there's no way around it. But what you can do by 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 means of, of organizational improvements is you can try to limit that effect, and I think that's that's a real core top management duty to make sure that people in your organization still feel that they can achieve something, that they can move things, that they can decide things on their own without having to go through twenty lines of, of hierarchy, and because that kills any entrepreneurial executional type of, of mindset. So if you give uh, people more responsibility to reach that, you need to align them and like set them like better goals. Like this is like two together aligning and goals. So how how you do that? Like how you how you give idea or framework into your company for yes. alignment or goal setting? Exactly. That that's that's very that's very true, right? That, that it, it, when you give more autonomy, you also need to make sure that people. Yes, they can decide on their own, but they, at least they're running into the same direction. Yeah. They're driving the, the same topics. And then uh, I think this is there, there are a lot of frameworks for that, right? So I think OKRs, Objectives, Key Results, is one of it. And it's the one that we're using at Delivery Hero. Okay. And uh, that's, I think it's a very, it's a very good framework. Yeah. Um, it, uh, it helps a lot to, to, to facilitate that, okay, everybody is geared towards one point and towards one goal. And they're driving the same type of things, and you don't have to align every week on okay who's doing what. Yeah. But you know you, you have a, a kind of blind understanding because goals are aligned. So that's the big advantage of it. And um, another advantage is that you are forced to think a bit more long term than you would do in you you might do in a startup. In a startup, it's, it's always about surviving the next month. Yeah. It's always about how do I solve this problem? You have to do firefighting everywhere. And it gets you a bit out of the firefighting mode and, and forces you to think about a long-term strategy. 
um, at least three months. Of course, after you've done OKRs for some time, you figure out that actually one quarter is not the right horizon. You need to plan more like two or three quarters yeah. because otherwise you have a lot of overhead every quarter um, to, to align. But if you do a bit of a more long-term alignment, it's, uh, it's, it's just easier. and it, it almost turns into a strategy discussion. And, and I think that's, that's what I like about OKRs. But you also have to be aware that there are downsides of these type of frameworks. So if, if, uh, if you only define a certain set of priorities for a quarter, it's always difficult to, to get something in that, that needs to be done, even though it wasn't on the OKR list. And you need to yeah. basically talk to three departments to adjust their OKRs. And then it becomes a bit of an, um, of an overhead. So I think, and that's why I also believe that OKRs should not be in place from day one. Yeah, it's it's, it's my personal recommendation would would you know not to be too too much focused on on quarterly targets, but I think as a as a startup you still need to be able to to be very agile and to respond even more quickly to crisis, to um, you know competitive threats, to insights, to product development. So I like this very agile part in, in the very beginning of a startup. Yeah. I think it's a very fruitful, very important phase to flesh out the, the company strategy, the company vision. And I think you also need to have as a founder the right to say, okay, guys, I changed my mind yeah. and we do a pivot, we will do this instead. Yeah. And I think it's all right. I think a founder, is, is, is he has the judgment and he should have the judgment to do that. And it's his money that is on the line, you know, it's, it's his company that is on the line and uh, and then he shouldn't be required to have OKR discussions uh, yeah. on and on and on to make yeah. the pivot. So there, there's a certain size. I think you will feel as a founder that at some point the um, the people are, are missing some kind of alignment, that the, the partners miss alignment. We had that at Foodpanda also, like at, at some point that we felt um, we, we, we are too much focused only on the next months and we don't have a long-term vision people are missing a bit like uh, you know what what's coming in, in one or two quarters and that's also when we decided to to introduce this type of quarterly yeah. uh, target setting and also we're more and, and introduced a, a, a long-term strategy with an annual strategy what we want to achieve so i think you need to then build a bit more over it but don't do it too early from my point of view yeah makes makes absolutely sense interesting so um well, what is your biggest problem today? What's the biggest problem you're facing today in your position? <laughs> um, so I think the, the the biggest problem of a large structure is complexity. That's yeah. always what you will... I think you can ask any top manager in a large corporation. They will ask you or they, they will tell you that, that the biggest problem is, is speed, right? Yeah. And, and speed or the lack of speed. And the, the speed is, is negatively impacted by complexity, by the size of an organizational structure. And uh, and I think, again, coming back to what I said earlier, what we're trying to achieve here is, what are the type of structural decisions that we need to make in order to be faster? How can we be faster? I mean, we won't, we'll never be as fast as a startup again. It's impossible. Yeah. But of course, we would like to understand, maybe we can get 10%, 20%, of that speed back that we used to have as a yeah. startup, and 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 then and that's why we're discussing structural measures. Uh, we're discussing, you know, for like a lot of discussion in, in deliveries around what are the central type of of services that we want to provide, what is uh, what is done and executed in the countries to really find the right split, the right trade-off between centralization and yeah. local execution. Yeah. And I think that's why Delivery Hero is also very strong. I think we have very strong people in the countries that have a lot of ownership. And that's also why we're successful in our markets and why we're market leading, because they are able to make the right type of decisions fast. They don't have to go through 
you know the CEO for for every for every little purchase order, but they can really do a lot of a lot of stuff themselves, and they also have a a certain level of technology ownership, which I think is also important. If if you have a team that doesn't have technology ownership, and um, they're very limited in what they can do. Technology is a part is a core integral part of our business. On the other hand, we also we're also providing central services out of out of Berlin that we believe mm. are very standardized that every country can use, and I think it's a very very good strategy. It's very very unique and very good strategy. So so you mix it up. So part of the software they can develop their own on the country, and part of them you get services out of Berlin. Yeah, makes sense. So if you say the 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 country managers are really independent, so how how you align them then? How you same like how you set goals for them how you make sure they're running in the right direction well we do have the okr process right i think yeah. that's that's uh, that's one and, and of course i mean naturally there's a there's a full set of of metrics that we are tracking and that we are also agreeing on as um, as a target for for the countries so i think there is there's a comprehensive framework to to make sure that everything happens in strong alignment so there are a lot of People also supporting that process, and uh, and and therefore, I'd say OKR is is the, the cornerstone yeah, okay. for for that framework that we're using. Okay. So let's let's say um, we are really young. We're coming uh, out out of university. We're thinking to go to university or not, and we want to build something similar, like not the same food business that wouldn't work. But let's say we we try to build something which has also a high growth. Would you recommend us to do, or what would you recommend us to do? Like, what we need to set in place that we have the highest chance to succeed? I think it it all starts from the market, to be honest. Okay. And I think this is something that I um, that, that I pick up in a lot of discussions, also with with founders or like people that like trying to think of like what you know what's the thing that I want to do. Think in global markets. I really think about like what's a segment that is underutilized, undersupplied. And, and I would really start from, from, from a, a market that is sizable, that really can generate a lot of revenue. Um, I think it's one of, one of the biggest mistakes that you move into a space which can be like maybe a, hundred a couple of hundred thousand euros, maybe a couple of million euros revenue is just not enough to really be really big right so you need to think about mm. a bigger market and i also wouldn't like um neglect markets that have maybe one or two dominant players i think there are many many examples of of new players like lyft in the us for example we thought that uber you know had killed the market and then lyft came so i think they're always in, in every um i mean wafer is another example in, in the us so, so they they're doing uh, um like ikea kind of business and everybody thought with amazon ikea like the market is closed and you can find a lot of companies that have come up in a space payment just thinking about payments that dozens and um, who have conquered micro segments in a, in a very large market right in a very large market and the market is big enough it can really sustain perpetual and, and, and consistent growth over time if you pick a, a segment that is too small maybe only applicable in Germany maybe only in two or three European markets it, it will not get you to a, a, a large type of company. So I think pick the right market and um, pick the right model in the market. Really try to understand, okay, what's the segment in, in the market that is being uh, 
underutilized. I think it's a bit difficult if you come out of university to spot these opportunities, mm. right? Because you come more from an academic background. Yeah. Um, I think it's very difficult to start up as a successful entrepreneur from university. It's just yeah. my, okay. my, my personal perception on this topic. Um, I, I, I'm a late founder, actually. I only founded when I was in my late 30s, right? I did, okay. I did a lot of things before and I also had like a small venture before when I was a student and so on in, in, like in, 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 in a certain segment. Um, but but the, the big thing only really came in, in my mid-30s. So I think it's, it's it really depends a bit on um, what's the... Uh, like uh, what's the segment and if you work maybe three or four years in a certain type of industry um, be it consulting be it um, at a telco be it at some kind of technology company be it in a payment company you tend to pick up certain things you tend to pick up problems that consumers are facing and that are not being solved and I think that that should be the hook then to say okay this is something that we can actually scale so I think spending three or four years before founding is a good idea to pick up the basic a, you know, basic understanding of uh, how to set up a business, how to operate a business, and also developing an idea. It doesn't need to happen from day one. I think in a corp, like you should probably pick a company that is not too corporate. Mm. So again, if you're too corporate, you might be too detached from 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 the market side of the yeah. business. If you work in an administrative function somewhere in you know 100,000 people organization, the chance that you will pick up something is very is very slim. But if you are in a smaller company, maybe a startup in Berlin or technology company, I think the chances are much much bigger that, that you will that you will find something. Yeah. So I think um, I would suggest to 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 pick some job which drives your your learning. And I think a good age to to actually found is then late twenties, maybe thirty. Thirty is for me like the perfect age because you still have a lot of energy to to drive stuff, and you've picked up some professional experience. And uh, you you won't face you you'll be able to deal with problems also in the first two years of your startup career much better than if you're a graduate. Like, I mean, as a graduate, I think you still need to learn so much. Now I've also seen a lot of graduates that came out of you know great universities, like perfect grades, but uh, they were put into management positions too quickly and they failed very quickly because they just didn't know how to handle people, how to hire. Um, you know how to define processes. There just was a lack of practical understanding. Yeah, so I think the more the safer strategy is to do a bit of a detour and, and, and take three four years of uh, of a, a normal kind of uh, career. Yeah, that makes sense. So um, because like startup work or like a jo also a big job in deliver hero, it's like really stressful. So how yourself find the mix between the work and the free time? So I, I mean, everybody has his, I think, his way of of uh, compensating uh, for 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 stress. I, I really don't have a choice because I have a family, so that that has to be my yeah. my valve or whatever to to uh, you know to release stress. And for me, it's working great. So I love to spend time time with my family, and uh, I think that's that's a, a great way to 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 log out the business. And uh, I mean, kids keep you busy. Uh, but of course, that's not something that that you know can you can do uh, overnight. So it's something that takes a bit of planning to do. Um, but I think there also you can do sports, you can do whatever, right? I mean, okay. like I think it's just important to um, to to also have moments of of decompression. It doesn't need to be like daily, weekly, or monthly, uh, like like we you know like we discussed at Food Panda. I think we we had 
three very intense years yeah and there was really no break in between but for example i always did my vacation so i always yeah, like okay. i always i always took those 25 days a, a, a you know a year and just went like took off with my family and um even though i did still check emails and did a few calls that really gave me a lot of a lot of energy to to kind of come back to the business and, and then start working and, and driving stuff again so that's probably another tip i would give everybody is to to take time off during the year it's worth it and um yeah just know like what, what you what you need to do be it meditation sports whatever to to be able to let go just for a couple of hours have a good sleep and then go back energized and, and yeah but i think that's also a bit of a founder dilemma that people yeah. who are founders they will always be um they will always be committed and, and and hungry to drive the business and and they don't want to do anything else really at least for some time so because of the excitement right that it that it delivers um, but you'll you'll find your way of, of relaxing how, how do you like there's a really good advice like to just take your 25 days off but how do you know that now it's the right time to take these days off because there's very always arguments why not now How did you, I think how I think that the time that? is never right. Okay. Yeah, so I think that's a that's a basic thing. It's never right. I mean, yes, there's some key projects like a fundraise or whatever where you should probably be, you know, in the office. But honestly, that's maybe a couple of weeks per year yeah, that, okay. that, that, where you are absolutely not um, you know, dispensable in, in, in the office. I think the other the other important factor is have a second line that is strong don't have people that you have to micromanage every day i mean it's like yeah. it, it's anyways a, a a management principle of mine to to build teams that are self-sustainable and that i can obsolete myself over time that's that, that was always my management principle and uh, i strongly believe in that but um but that also means of course as, as a nice upside that if you want to take vacation you can because you have people that can take decisions and if they can they give you a call it's a five minute call and then you know Uh, things are, are moving again so don't think that you are in, indispensable at every minute yeah. of the day yeah. that's not the case yeah pretty good point how how do you invest in yourself like how do you educate yourself yeah i think i'm a bit lazy in that to be honest <laughs> um so i mean i was lucky enough like in my, in my first five years of my career i, I was a consultant at, at roland burger and we had tons of seminars and, and like Uh, trainings and so on and I think that was really valuable for me because I was at an early stage of my career and, and I really enjoyed those two-day sessions uh, talking about presentation skills about negotiation skills and so on and, and I picked up a lot of soft skills I'd say over over time and ever since I I learned on the job so much that my feeling was that I don't have the time or I don't need to go to these type of trainings Mm -hmm. um, so I haven't done many trainings lately. I probably should. I do read books, right? So I, I read uh, books occasionally. I read a lot of news and, and kind of internet publications on, on certain topics. If I have a topic that I'm interested in that I want to solve, I do research. So I, I, I research a lot around company structures and um, this OKR type of model or around other methodologies that help you to, to manage better. And I also meet people a lot then. So I have a good network by now. That's one of the advantages of you know, growing older in, in, as a manager that you build up a network. And whenever I have specific questions, I usually have two, three, four people that have dealt with the yeah. same type of issue. And then I call them and I meet them. So building a network, I think, is also very, very crucial. And um, 
Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I would say 80% of, of the input that I get from from others to, to, to improve what I'm doing is coming from, from, from people that I know or from discussions from people that I meet rather than from, from a book reading. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's not my primary source. It's always been like that for me. I'm, I'm not the most academic person, I'd say. I'm more a, a people person and yeah. I just you know, like to go out, meet people, yeah. understand. And then I think it's much more efficient to spend one hour with, with an amazing you know, manager who has already solved the problem that you can discuss your topic with individually, right? This is my problem and I need a solution for this. What would you propose? It's much more valuable than, you know, having to go through like two, three, four books. Yeah, makes sense. Do you do extra reviews from each day or is it just have them on the go? And you, reviews? What do you yeah. mean, like reviews of people? Like you no know, thinking about yourself, like how's it going and where to go next and what you do right or wrong or you don't need to do it and you just... I think it happens automatically. Yeah. I'm a very, um, I mean, I'd say, but maybe other people will have different opinions, but, but I, I, I would say I'm a pretty reflective person. So yeah. I, I think you can criticize me also harshly. I have people yeah. criticizing me all day, not all day, but like frequently. And I, 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 I like that. I enjoy that. I like being challenged. I like somebody telling me, I think what you're doing is wrong. Yeah. You should doing it in, in, in another way. So And I also, I'm also trying to understand if I, if, if situation has a turnout that I don't think is a good turnout, I always try to understand what could I have done differently. Yeah. So that re reflects is never, um, but I did everything right and it's somebody else's fault, but it's rather, okay, I don't like this outcome. What could I yeah. have done differently to yeah. contribute to a better outcome? And I think this is how you should approach yeah. management and, and a company in general. Yeah. Be open to criticism. And, uh, and always try to, to reflect on, okay, what can I do better yeah. next time? Learn from your mistakes. Yeah, makes sense. So uh, what's your favorite book? My favorite book? Um, wow, I've, I mean, many, like many books. I read mostly, mostly fiction. Okay. Yeah, but you were probably referring to nonfiction, I guess. No, like, <laughs> no, you're free. You can also tell your favorite fiction books, why not? Um, just trying to think of the English name. You can also say German. I translate it later. That's fine. Okay. No, I think the, the English name is um, the Kindly Ones. Okay. It's um, uh, it's a book about um, the Second World War and, and, and the Holocaust. It's also a book about Berlin to a certain degree. So um, it's by Jonathan Littell, I believe. That's probably my favorite book. Right. Okay, that, cool. that I I think is is. Uh, is a, a very fascinating and then also shocking book to read but a very good read and I liked um, as a, as a non-fiction book I would uh, I would recommend Business Adventures okay. I think it's a pretty good book about the disruption of, of certain industries in mostly the 50s 60s 70s there was, I think it's by a university professor I've forgotten the author but uh, but he basically singled out certain instances or situations where where um, where industries were disrupted by means yeah. of technology yeah. by means of black swans whatever yeah. and then how people react to that and, and i think that's a very very interesting book to read because it just tells you you know everything's repeating yeah. and and if you think you will not be disrupted or you cannot be disrupted you're very wrong because yeah. everybody can be disrupted yeah. all the time and, and i think this this was something that also gave me a lot of insight and also to some degree 
a certain comfort that, okay, you're not the only one who has dealt with this type of situation. It's yeah. something normal. That's cool. That's cool. So uh, the last the last question is, um, if you could go back to your 20-year-old self, what for advice would you give to yourself? I think my my advice would be be bold okay. and don't wait too long. Yeah, so three, four years after uni is, 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 is enough and then start something. Don't wait too long to start. And uh, if you fail once or twice, it's fine. You learn a lot you know, while, while doing that. And then, then do the next thing. I think it's still, it's still early days for the internet age okay. and, and the fifth industrial revolution that we're facing. And, and there's so much opportunity out there. And uh, I would, I would uh, you know, suggest to everybody to try to get a piece of it. And, and yeah, if, if I would be in my 20s, I would definitely found something. I think that's the greatest thing you can do and the most exciting adventure. Awesome. Do you have something for the end you want to tell and we didn't, we didn't point out? No, I think we talked about a lot of topics. Um, no, I think, uh, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's continue another time uh, around other subjects. And yeah, so I hope that uh, some of your listeners will pick up some advice here. Thank you very much. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Until next time.